Our culture always says Happy Mother's Day, and it's like uh, bittersweet. Some people are happy, and some are in tears, and some wanted to be mothers. Maybe some of them will still be mothers. Comfort, who needs to be comforted, and all those that are missing their mothers. And Patsy and I saw a great movie last night. It's the remake of Little Women. It's really good and bittersweet like Little Women is still. (laughs) And we saw... um, we watched 1917 on World War I, an unbelievably great production in how they shot it. It's just amazing, the shooting, but the storyline is a really good storyline based upon the director's stories from his grandfather of World War I. And then some way we got around to talking about watching Midway. Because we have these points in history that had things not gone the way they went, life would be different. Um, Had the people at Midway not done what they did and fought the way they fought, and just the people making their decisions, the war with Japan would have gone on a long time, and many Japanese and many Americans more would have lost their lives. And... When you look at American history at different points in times, there's pivotal moments where one person changes the course of our country just by saying or doing or showing up someplace. So, uh, and those are slight insights into the fact that God of the universe is in ruling. He is ruling now, and there is warfare on even now. And... This is now 29 days since Easter. Pentecost, 50, Jesus, you know, after the last things he said to them was, stay here, don't try anything until I send the Spirit, (laughs) you know. So that would be 10 days more, the 50th day after the resurrection, we have Pentecost. Pentecost is going to be May 31st. So now we're up to the, is this the 10th? of May. Yep, so that makes it 21 more days to Pentecost. So this is that period of time that Jesus would appear. Now and then we have these stories during these 40 days before he ascends in the cloud, you know, up into the clouds and the angels are standing there going, hey, why are you still looking up there? (laughs) He's coming back. The clock's running, some big clock somewhere. I always, <laughs> when I first started teaching, we had those clocks that had the little letters that would flip over. You know, like you'd wait until it'd flip over. I'd wait at 529 until I could hear it, because every time you could hear the clock, it made a sound when the, it would little flip, and it would flip and go 530. Eh, it's time for an art teacher to get up so I can make it to Hoax Bluff on time. I just wait for the flip, you know. So I think there's a giant somewhere, digital's too easy. There's a giant big flipping clock someplace, probably, <laughs> counting down. 
<laughs> the father says, okay, let's go into the next place. Um, I want to talk a few minutes about uh, the prophetic. I recommend you two books I put on the, uh, when we were how we introduced a day or so before, who's up. I put a comment on there that shows one of the two books. Michael Sullivan did a book called Prophetic Etiquette a few years ago. It's probably not in print right now, so these are like all used copies, what's left of them. You can see the, it's a good training book. But before you probably read how to do prophecy, you need to read Watchman Nee. Watchman Nee was a famous Chinese pastor. He wrote a number of books, but the one that's the most uh, useful to me down through the years has been spiritual authority. He traces different encounters that Moses has with the people while they are in the wilderness, because there's a number of issues about his authority, and Nee goes into each of these places in Exodus and in there, uh, and talks about the effects of, why would the ground open up and swallow a bunch of people? Well, you know, why did a number of different things happen? Or Aaron's rod, why was it necessary for Aaron's rod to bloom? and produce almonds overnight. And this book is useful because if you, if you read these things and take them to heart and do these things, then you're prepared to be trained to do prophecy. Because if you end up giving prophetic words and you don't do them in the right attitude, then you're just causing trouble. You're just going to set some fires sort of like uh, out in the forest when it's dry and they're telling you don't, fire, don't burn anything and then, you know, like Smokey the Bear says, don't burn anything and then we set the forest on fire. You know, it's not lightning. It's something that one of us did. So that was that background. Let's go to, we're going to go to um, the book of Matthew, chapter 24. This is New American Standard for a few minutes. Verses 1 through 4. Lord, ask your presence to be with us and speak to us, whoever's listening, wherever they're listening today. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to him out of the temple buildings. Now, this is an impressive building. Not as impressive as Solomon's, but this one's still pretty, pretty impressive. And he said to them, do you not see all these things? Because I'm sure they're gawking at it, kind of like, ah, look at that, look at that, look at that. Truly, I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another. These are big stones. It takes a bunch of people to set one in place which will not be torn down. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, so he's come down, they've come out of the Temple Mound, the area right there that was set apart by King David, you know, in that area, and they rebuilt in that place. And after Solomon built on that spot that David had got in trouble about, and 
you know, and they're carried off in captivity, and they come back and rebuild, and then Herod's temple, this one has been built and kind of modernized and fixed up, and it looks pretty good, and you go across the Kidron Valley, and the, that's kind of the uh, garbage dump where they're always throwing stuff. There's always fire and smoke and smell of, like, burning garbage, whatever that smells like. And you go up on the other side, and there is a garden up there on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus loved to go over there because when you're over there across the valley, the view is of the temple. You're looking straight across the valley at the temple. So verse 3, as he's sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, just them, not, not some of the crowds that are always coming around, saying, tell us, when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answers and says to them, see to it that no one misleads you. Now, why is he saying that? See to it that no one misleads you, except that he cares about them, and the potential for them being misled is possible. That's not changed at all. Today, there's people being misled somewhere, some of God's people, because they've not used the 66 books, this thing we call the Bible, they've not used this as the fence to go around and stay inside the fence and work out of these things. And so when people who are really good orators or they have something about their personality or the way that they teach, because I'm one of those people that used to run around to a lot of places, and I've sat for many hours sometimes under people's teachings only to go, wow, man, why did I stay there three hours? Because they had that ability just to tease on. It was sort of like, you know, if you'll just stay until I get through, I'll give you the secrets of the kingdom sort of thing. And then when they finally got through the end of it, I went, really? I stayed three hours for that? Now, you got to do that three or four times before you finally catch on. Like, I'm not staying three hours. I'm leaving when I want to leave if I'm coming here at all. And then there were those rare people that could really hear God well. Now, we all have the Holy Spirit, and we all hear from him, but we're, we're sort of like, you know, being um, in the arts and being a visual art teacher and married to a musician, um, and my friends are musicians. When they sit around and talk music, I run out of knowledge in about three minutes. We were watching uh, uh, Little Women, and Beth is playing this Across the room, we're seeing her from her, the backside, and she's at a grand piano, and she's playing. And whoever is playing right then at the piano is probably not the actress, but someone is really playing. And Patsy goes, they're really playing. Because being a pianist, she knows the song. She knows where the hands should be going, and they're on the notes. It's just like when I see someone paint, and I go, they're not really painting. But then I watch other people, and I watch how they do it, and they twist their butt brush a certain way, and they move their, their shoulders. They make that went. They're painting. They're actually painting on that. You've all got the Holy Spirit, and, and, and at any one time, yes, any one of us could, could give a prophecy. But we tend to kind of uh, end up being better at some things. I'm better at art than I am at music. I'm, I am better at music than I am at dance. 
I am better at dance, which is not very good, than acting. Because acting, you've got to be able to remember the lines. I can put on a show, but just don't give me lines to remember. I, I can't do it. You know, it's like watching all this stuff. So, so when, you, when you do prophecy, you, uh, there's kind of some parameters of this. And there are words of knowledge where you get something, the Holy Spirit kind of drops it into your head, and you see something or you say something that you hear, and, and that's one thing. And prophecy is more of this stream of time-space, and all of a sudden you are kind of got one foot in time-space right here with us, and the other foot is outside of it, sort of in eternity looking at it. And you see something down the road. Patsy found a prophecy that was given to me four years ago, and it was on her phone. She's been moving some stuff, videos. She says, hey, you want to see this? This is really interesting. It was given to you. I'm watching along. Four years ago, it wasn't true. It's true now. It's true right now. Things that he said are happening among us right now. I couldn't have told you Four years ago when he said that, I, if, I, if I'd said, well, what do you think he means? Well, I think he means this, you know? And now that it's four years later, this is what it means. It's, way, it's not even in that, it's like, it's almost 180 degrees around from what I would have thought. We need prophecy. If you've noticed, the world has got problems right now. And there are thousands of hours of voices of people telling us stuff. And, and if you sift through all that, there's a little bit of truth in there. And they, they say it with such conviction. And they send, you know, and it's sort of like being on an on a ocean liner. Everybody runs over to that side of the ship, and if you're looking at the ship from out in front, you see the ship tilt because all the passengers are over on the left side. <laughs> or they're going... Hey, there's whales on the right side. They all run the other. You see the tails this way with all their weight because they're all on the rails taking pictures of the whales. Everybody's telling everybody about what is going on. So I'm going to be fatherly here for a second. Okay? I know this is not my business. I'm not, I hate to talk parental to people spiritually. I prefer collegiate, one-to-one, equal. Okay, but I'm going to be a little fatherly for a minute. We're about to come out in the state of Alabama out from under our quarantine to a major degree. Already, when I go in stores and I, and I go home and say what I saw, the suggestion of wisdom is, well, don't go back there. I was in a hardware store the other day, and there were five young working men within a foot two feet of each other, plus the lady that was checking them out, nobody had anything on. Now, I've told you before, in ACT, I barely pass English. One, one, one lower, and the junior college would make me take remedial, not 101 English, but 99, you know, the remedial end. But I did real well in science, and I toyed with becoming an architect. I almost went toward architecture, and then I decided I didn't want to go to Auburn and take the test. I was lazy. I went into art. 
Then I decided that, well, maybe I'm not that good, so I went into art education, only to find out on my last graphics class as a senior, the graphics professor, I kept acing everything he gave me. He says, uh, what's your major? I said, art education. He says, you're in the wrong field. You should be a graphics designer like you. Well, aren't you a graphics person? Oh, you're a painter. Hey, that's my concentration is in painting, too. You and I are, okay, we're painters. I'm an art educator, but paint, concentration in painting, mining, minor in history. Okay, so I'm, where was I going with that? I, had, I don't remember. Hardware. Science, yeah, science, hardware store, science. I want to go, are, are, hey, you guys, are you just macho guys? Because the macho guys always show up at Lowe's. If you go to Lowe's, the women are wearing a, something, face covering, and the guys aren't. Unless they're really old. They might have something on. Because, hey, I'm in, I'm in Lowe's, man. You know, I don't, I'm, not a, I'm not girly. So I want to tell these guys at this hardware store, I want to go, hey, you are endangering everybody in your extended family. Or there's a birthday party in a parking lot down the street from my house. There's a, a church parking lot across where you turn to go to my house. There was a birthday party the other day. They all had balloons up on all, I promise I'll quit, Jamie. This is the last one. Uh, so they all got balloons hanging on their antenna and all this, and they're celebrating somebody's birthday, and these teenagers are all out there. They're in little groups. I mean, they're with, they must have all been hard of hearing because their faces were six inches apart. And I know that they think, we're teenagers, we won't get this. Like, yeah, I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about your grandmother, your granddad. I'm worried about somebody else that doesn't need to get this. And, but what was funny was they, they halfway listened, so there was never more than 10 of them in a group. There were little groups all over the parking lot, and they were all less than 10. So they got the part about don't be more than 10, but the six feet part, that was too much for their little brains. They just couldn't, they just couldn't go there. So y'all just be wise, okay? As everything gets kind of starts opening back up, I'm happy for all my friends that need to be working. Again, I'm thankful that the governor is going to do this and all that stuff. So a lot to learn. Okay, so we, we just said this part from Matthew. I turn to Isaiah sometime. You can go with me. Isaiah 29. So I'm going to work a few minutes here. Since this yesterday or today is the 29th day, and I was asking the Lord what to teach on, and I would like to have gone ahead last time I was teaching in the time period before the resurrection. And so we're in that 40-day period, so there's nothing to teach yet. The next passage jumps into Acts 1, and when you get to Acts 1, you know, it's uh, uh, they're waiting during the 10 days, and then we, we get Acts 2, and we get all the excitement of the Holy Spirit coming. I can't go there yet because it's not enough days yet. I'm at day 29, so I'm not going to jump to day 50 because who knows, Jamie may have to teach Pentecost. I don't know how this will go. So I decided I would go to Isaiah because Isaiah is the premier prophet. Many times I get car tags or something that he communicates with me and a page number. I try Isaiah first. That's the first place I go. Is there something on this page or this verse with this something? And then I go to the Psalms and then I might go, okay, so is there some place? Is he just giving me some numbers? Because sometimes he does give me things. So I went to the 29th chapter. And 
there's some interesting things here. He starts off by saying, Woe, O Ariel. Now, Ariel is the, <laughs> this is the name of the little mermaid. That got my attention, like, wow, the little mermaid. Hans Christian Andersen, did he get her name from this right here? Everybody gets something from someplace. Maybe he liked that, and he called the little mermaid Ariel. Not the Disney people, but the original. Yeah, I know they use that, and they're going to make a, a live-action version of it. Okay, so Ariel means the line of God. It's another nickname for Jerusalem, and it also means the altar hearth, or the hearth of the great altar. So, oh, hearth, the, you know, the altar hearth. Ariel, the city where David once camped. Add year to year and observe your feast on schedule. I will bring distress to Ariel, to Jerusalem. And she will be a city of lamenting and mourning, and she will be like an Ariel to me. She will, she will be like an altar hearth. What is he saying? What's an altar hearth? It's where you build a fire. That's the fireplace where you put the sacrifice in the fire above it. A place of burning. Verse 3, And I will camp against you, encircling you, and I will set siege works against you, and I will raise up battle towers against you. And then you will be brought low. From the earth you will speak, and from the dust where you prostrate yourself, and your words will come, and your voice will also be like that of a spirit from the ground, and your speech will whisper from the dust. Gosh, that visually. Your speech will whisper from the dust. But the multitudes of your enemies will become like fine dust. Now here's the thing about God. He is your father. And fathers discipline their children. And Jerusalem, through the prophet Isaiah, is he's saying, God is going to discipline you. You're the capital city. You're the point of the spear. You're the top place that represents my 12 tribes. I am going to send a foreign army to be a siege army, and they are going to come against you. And like Jesus is telling the disciples, there was going to, this was going to happen. It happened more than once. But, you know, he was going to say in uh, 33 A.D., he's telling them this is going to happen, which happens in what, 69 A.D.? The Romans come and they just take everything apart. So, but verse 5 there, but the, but the multitude of your enemies will become like fine dust, and the multitude of the ruthless ones like the chaff which blows away, you know, like on wheat, you know, blow right in the fire. The thing about your father being the one that brings discipline is he has a heart of love for his people. And so he sends usually another country to do the harshness against Israel, and then he beats up on the other country because they beat up on Israel. It's just interesting. Like he'll go, yeah, I'm sending Babylon. And then he beats the tar out of Babylon because they did what he <laughs> wanted them to do. You know, it's like I sent him to, to paddle you, and now I'm, I'm taking him out back because he paddled you. Going to knock him around in the driveway or something. 
Your father's like that. And it will happen instantly, suddenly. Verse 6, And from the Lord of hosts you will be punished with thunder and earthquake and loud noise and with whirlwind and tempest and flame of consuming fire and the multitudes of all the nations who wage war against Ariel, even all who wage war against her and her stronghold. Talking about the point up there, you know, on top of Jerusalem. And who distress her will be like a dream, a vision of the night. And it will be when a hungry man dreams and behold he's eating or when he awakens and his hunger is not satisfied or when a thirsty man dreams and behold he's drinking. And when he, when he awakens, behold, he's faint for his thirst is not quenched. And thus the multitudes of all the nations will be who wage war against Mount Zion. Be delayed and wait Blind yourselves and be blind, and they'll become drunk, but not with wine. They'll stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured over you a spirit of deep sleep. He has shut your eyes, the prophets, and he has covered your head, the seers. Now, in our day and time right now, if God does not give his spiritual prophets, the ones that hear, perceive, and the seers, the ones that see things spiritually. And, you know, a seer, one of our pastors is a seer. He's always taking something that's happening, and then he explains it to me. Like, you know, this happened in the news the other day, this earthquake in this particular place. I looked up the name of it. I don't ever do that, but he does. I looked up the name of it. It means this, and pretty soon he's, he's come up with this whole little thing about why this earthquake happened in this place. And I go, wow, that's... If that's not it, that's really good. He just does this all the time. That's a seer operating. If, if God keeps the seers from seeing spiritually and the prophets from seeing hearing prophecy, we're not going to get explanations of COVID-19. I don't care who, who gets on the air. I don't care who tells stuff. I don't care who has four hours meetings. They're not going to be on it. They're going to be on it when God wants to be on it, when God wants things explained. And at this point along this experience is that it's revealing men's hearts. And you find out that just because some people have offices of authority it shows some of them do wisely with it, and some of them are just jerks. And people that you didn't know, or you barely knew, and you find out that they did something sacrificial, loving, something kind. They took some, something to some hospital workers. They took their lunch and gave it away. So what is this revealing? It starts revealing the intentions of men's hearts. I had a father tell me yesterday, he says, I, I, you know, I know this is terrible, but my, personally, my family has got a lot out of this. My girls that are always busy, involved in different things, in dance and theater and music and all this stuff, they're stuck at home. They're playing with each other again. They're different ages. They've learned to reconnect in their own house. And so mother and father and the and the girls are all getting along fabulously. They wouldn't have had time to get along this much. So there's, a, there's stuff happening, just like the songs, John, that you were singing. 
you know, to, to seeing that, that one about the forest burning and then, yeah, yeah, and it's putting back out greenery. It's like, yeah, it's like even after a big forest fire comes through and it just totally looks terrible for a while, and then out of that forest fire, all these little shoots start coming up, and all this newness starts coming. And had the big forest fire not come and burned off all this debris on the, on the forest floor, we wouldn't have had all this life. So, so we can be under something that God is allowing to come. I don't think he sent it. I think this is my, I'm going into opinion here. When I see what happens among, like grandparents can't see their grandchildren, because of the age thing right now, because the grandparents are, could, could get deathly sick. They can see them across the room or outside or something. Probably grandchildren are meeting with their grandmother with Patsy this morning. I've been sending quiet texts to people, so she probably had a surprise visit from some. That's not getting to happen. The whole planet is divided. Family is not totally getting to be with family. Family can't hug unless they've got like plastic, you know, and hugging through a sheet of plastic or something. Or like a, I saw somebody, somebody hugging somebody and they, they ripped down their shower curtain and put it over the child and then hugged the child. It was silly, but it was precious. That closeness, that tightness, that God has made, you know, it, it releases oxytocin when we do that. That chemical that makes us feel connected. You know, that's why petting a dog, and uh, your favorite animal, if your cat lets you do it, you know. Uh, that's why that stuff, you feel cozier. You feel more in love. You feel more connected with people because it, God made us this way. Verse 11, the entire vision will be to you like words of a sealed book, which when they give it to the one who is literate, saying, please read this, he will say, I can't, I cannot, it's, it's sealed. And then the book will be given to one who's illiterate, the one who can't read, illiterate. Please read this, he'll say, I can't read. And then the Lord said, now this next thing, verse 13, the first time I ever paid attention to this, was in Keith Green was speaking at a Jesus festival. It was called Jesus Northwest 1980. He was up in Oregon or someplace. And Keith had gotten really upset with the music, Christian music industry, because we had gone from people writing songs to selling songs to turning it into a career. And, and this festival had all this, like, Jesus praying hand ashtrays probably, just all kinds of stuff. And Keith got in front of his keyboard, and he gave them down the country. The very first time I'd ever heard him speak, a young woman sent me a copy of this, of him speaking at Jesus Snort. Somewhere I've got the original. I don't know if he even plays the cassette plays. I had heard him sing um, one of his albums, the one that has To Obey His Sacrifice, whatever that one's called. And I'd heard, I had that album, but I'd never heard him speak. And it made me fall in love with Keith Green and start following him in the last day's ministry. 
And, and he starts yelling this from the stage at his keyboard, verse 13. Because as people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, and they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. Gotta turn the page. Therefore, behold, I will once again deal marvelously with his people, wonderfully marvelously, and the wisdom of their wise men will perish, and the discernment of the discerning men will be concealed. When God is sending discipline, he blocks the heavens so that we can't hear, so that we can't figure out what will make things right. That sounds bad. It's not. He just wants the discipline to run its course. In his love for us to get us in the right place, he wants the discipline to run its course. I don't have any idea that, I, that the COVID thing is a discipline. I think it is the enemy at work. You know, I don't like viruses anyway. They're only half alive. You hear me talk about that. You know, they're sort of the zombie. It's like World War COVID-19 or something. It's like World War Z, you know, the zombie. It's a zombie plague kind of thing. You know, it's, they steal energy from other living bacteria and people and everything. Okay, I'll leave that alone. Verse 15, woe to those who deeply hide their plans from the Lord and those and whose deeds are done in a dark place. And they say, who sees us? Who knows us? That's our culture of today. Our culture in the West has got, I don't know about the rest of the world, I'm not connected to them. And we're connected to, to Europe, and this has been going on in Europe, and my friends are in vineyard churches in, in the UK, and now ours is getting deeper and deeper. People, people have decided that, no, I don't need God. I don't need to go around. That's a waste of time. I'm just going to, I don't need to do stuff like that. And if you say something, if you hint at something that possibly that they're doing is going hard with them, they'll come back and, and they'll say, well, you know, God's not really keeping up with anything. I'm not even sure he's out there. And I don't think that I, you know, it's just a cause and effect in my life. Who sees? Who knows? Let's just be friends with benefits. We got people in nursing homes living that way. It hits all across society. Verse 13, you turn things around. Shall the potter be considered as equal with the clay? That what is made, made would say to its maker, he didn't make me. Or what is formed, says to him who formed it, he has no understanding. When, when, when the culture starts losing the awareness that there is a God and that there is cause and effect and that you really do reap what you sow, that's not just a fancy something said a long time ago. That is how it works. If you want mercy, give mercy. If you want forgiveness, give forgiveness. Or else, go ahead and send out a word curse. Word curses don't fly straight. Every single word curse that's sent out there, every single thing that you have said is a boomerang. A really good boomerang. A really good one goes, because I've made them. 
You can hear the sound of it coming around, and it's going to hit you in the back of the head if you don't, put your, if you don't watch for it. Because a good boomerang does that. It's just made with the way those two-sided blades are. Every curse we sent out is a boomerang because God is, says, you're gonna, not going to mock me. You reap what you sow. It's happening all across the planet. It doesn't matter what their background. They can go, no, well, I'm a Buddhist. I don't care. The creator of all things says, little Buddhist guy, you're going to reap what you sow. Hindu guy, you're going to reap what you sow. Christian, you're going to reap what you sow. All the degrees of the Christianity, all, all 1,700, let's see, currently there's 1,700 different styles of Christianity. There have been 2,300 since we started this, have existed, but some of them have gone out and don't, no longer exist. 1,700? 1,700 of them, if they throw a boomerang, it's going to hit them in the back of the head. Roman Catholic, going to hit him in the back of the head. Greek Orthodox, hit him in the back of the head. Southern Baptist, back of the head. First Presbyterian, back of the head. Methodist, back of the head. Vineyard, back of the head. It never misses. Because it's the way he made the place. He's nice to me. I'll send one out there thinking it's a flaming arrow. He'll go, you know, that's a boomerang. Yeah, but mm, that felt so good shooting that one. <laughs> Don't you want to take it down before it gets back here? <sighs> yeah. Okay, well, you can't just take it down. You have to bless them. Ah, oh, come on now. Can't, I just took it down. Mm, nope. Doesn't do away with it. Still going to make it. You launched it. The only way it's going to evaporate is for you to bless them. And apologize to me for doing that, because that's not my ways. Okay. Verse 17, it's not yet a little while before Lebanon will be turned into a fertile forest, and the fertile field will be considered as a forest. And on that day, the death will, will hear words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. And the afflicted also will increase their gladness in the Lord, and the needy of mankind will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Those who dwell in darkness have seen a great light. The bad part is we're going through the darkness. It's getting deeper. We're like Jeremiah. He had to go with Israel into captivity. He couldn't stand back and say, I told you so. No, you're going with them. You're going to go through everything they're going through. The problem with it getting dark is it's getting dark. But it's got to get dark, dark enough so that all of the little humans with all their little solutions and all their stuff find out there's nothing there. They climb to the top of the hill and it's empty. They reach for stuff and they grab it and it just turns to dust. And now they're prepared for the light to come. When it's dark enough, long enough, and they barely can see and they stumble in it, when the morning dawns, that first faint thing of light, and you see it, it's fabulous. You see that picture I put up the other day? 
My wife was walking through the house. It had just been all the storm, and she said, look outside. The sun was setting, and there was a cloud passing through our backyard, and all these shards of sunlight were shooting out from the woods. It was, had I been smart enough, I would have made a movie, make a movie with yours, because it's like I was taking over and over and over. Every moment there was a different thing as, as this cloud was moving through the trees. And it was like a visitation. He was going, wow, wow. That's what Jesus says in Matthew. He says, don't go into the inner room if a guy says the Messiah is in here. Don't do it. He says, as, as lightning shoots from the east to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. It's like that. It's like, it's like the way that looked. I went, man, if I was going to make something like Jesus is coming, this is the kind of thing it would look like. All of a sudden, all these golden beams were shooting through the, through the forest from the sun setting, brilliant light it was lighting up all all those clouds that was going through the backyard like it just i've never i've lived there like 15 years i've never seen it look like that verse 20 for the ruthless will come to an end and the scoffer will be finished and indeed all who are intent on doing evil will be cut off who causes a person to be indicted by a word and ensnare him who adjudicates, adjudicates, I, I did sleep better, but okay. At the gate and or default, the one in the right with meaningless arguments. It sounds like our culture, all that right there. It's just like we have lost the, we have lost, we brag on people that get away with stuff, that outsmart the jury, when the person's guilty, we instead of looking for doing the right thing and holding that up, we've gone the other way. We started playing It's a Wonderful Life. I've got an old copy of it. I was crying within the first three minutes. I was crying at the dialogue. I was crying at the family, at the, at the black and whiteness of the, of the just, just, just how Jimmy Stewart was acting, that character. Like, I want that America to come back. I know Capra was great. You know, Capra made four films, and those four films set because all of America was watching them. It's a Wonderful Life is one of them. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. There's two more. I can't remember the other ones. These four Frank Capra movies set a tone for America and, and everybody went to it and, and it touched them. And it changed how we interacted with each other. So when, what's Jimmy Stewart's character's name? A wonderful Life? George. So when George and they get, they get married and they're going to go on their honeymoon and they're going to go out of the country and all this stuff, you know, and then the, there's a run on the bank and then there's a run on his savings and loan. And his wife of, a, of an hour and everybody's wanting their money. And, he, you know, he, he says, I can't give you your money. Your, your money is in his house and, and his money is in this guy's house, Every, you know, and they, they, just, they just were afraid. And she takes all the cash that he's saved up for a honeymoon and she gives it to him. 
They take their honeymoon money and they give it to everybody that was feeling afraid. You know, they talk some of them down like, well, how much money do you want? I want $20. Well, will you take five? You know, as a, will that get you by for today or tomorrow? Go see it again. You'll, you'll remember who we were. And it's still in us. You're seeing it come out in the medical community. One of our friend's daughter is like serving in Birmingham. She's really good. She has to change her clothes completely when she comes home, her shoes, everything. Whatever she needs, she calls out out of the department because she's closed off in the quarantine area and they go get it for her and bring, her, bring it and put it in a little cubby thing and you know everything she needs. She's living in there all day long, like double shifts and then goes home. She's been doing this for weeks. She's not going to get an Academy Award for it. Still a bunch of Americans that are willing to sacrifice. Verse 22, and therefore thus says the Lord who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob. Jacob shall not now be ashamed, nor shall his face now turn pale. Jacob shall not now be ashamed. Find it in your own words and say that to each other, to encourage each other. Jacob shall not now be ashamed. Verse 23, But when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will sanctify my name, and indeed they will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. And those who err in mind will know the truth, and those who criticize will accept instruction. The time is going to come When the children of God who have been ridiculed by those that have been taken in by the spirit of the age, and they're going to see the difference in how the Christians live. And it's going to bring conviction. And they're going to have a change of heart. Because they realize that they are empty, and they're living on a philosophy that has no real meaning to it. I was going to do chapter 30, but we don't have time to do chapter 30. There's a verse in 30, verse 15, that's quoted a lot. But you know, the thing about quoting verses, go read on both sides of the verse before you make it your verse. The verse says, For, for thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, you, and you'll know it when you hear it, in, in repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and in trust is your strength. 
That is true. The next line's true too. But you were not willing. We put the other on our t-shirt, the first two lines, but we don't. Well, you know, why if we put the big line on, but you were unwilling, or the back of the, you know, God is coming, the back of the sandwich board, but you were unwilling. This is a good book. We happen to have a couple of copies. This is a used one. I don't know what this was. Maybe this was some of them in there. Liz, I don't have anything else. <laughs> 